Can we pray together as we head into the Word of God together? Can we pray? God, we believe that you are in this place, that you are moving among us. We believe that you are in the many homes of those who are tuning in with us online. We believe you are in their hearts, in the form of your Son, in the form of his Spirit. God, I pray that you would, in this moment, through these ancient words, bring a word that is just for us, just for those listening right now. And to that end, I pray that you would speak through me and that you would turn these words of mine into your own. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Some thanks are in order. Uh, Two weeks ago, I shared with you that my nephew had been born and his entry into the world was not easy. He had some heart and lung complications from the beginning and was taken to the NICU pretty quickly. And that was about the time I was preaching that sermon two weeks ago. And uh, little did I know how tender I was about that. It got to me pretty good. Immediately, I was getting text messages and calls. Actually, while I was still up here preaching, people were texting me, (laughs) saying that they were praying for baby Miller. And so it was a great joy to... said I wasn't going to cry tonight, and then Randy Spellings came home from deployment, and the dam broke, and I can't stop it. It was a great joy to tell uh, my sister that thousands of people in Memphis and around the world were praying for her and baby Miller, and he got to come home today. So thank you for those prayers. We're rejoicing. You know, birth is a precarious thing. You know, we have all these monitors and prenatal vitamins and ultrasounds and doctors and nurses filling the room, and birth is still a precarious thing. We come into this world absolutely vulnerable, totally exposed, totally dependent, totally vulnerable. And when we tell the story of the good news of Jesus Christ, and we're in a series out of the book of Mark about the good news of Jesus Christ. And when we tell that story, we often begin it with what? A birth story. In fact, in both Matthew and Luke's gospels, good news, it's the same word. In both their versions of the good news, it begins with a birth. The birth of Jesus to this young and frightened mom. Uh, in a stable surrounded by animals, and he's born and wrapped in swaddling cloth and laid in a manger, and we tell that story at Christmas time. But Mark's good news doesn't start with a birth. just seems to skip right over it. And so I've always thought, you know, Mark just, just didn't include the birth story. You know, it's a shorter gospel. He needed to get to the meat of it a little more quickly. He just skipped it. Uh, But I've been getting to think that maybe there is a birth story here. I don't know. Why don't don't we read it and you tell me what you think? Tell me what you think. This is Mark 1, verse 9. About that time, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee, and John baptized him in the Jordan River. 
You remember in the eight verses before this, we find John the Baptist out preparing the way for Jesus in the wilderness with everyone, all of Judea gathered there to be baptized for the forgiveness of their sins in the Jordan River. And Jesus shows up in verse nine. It's the first time we've seen him and this is what happens. While he was coming up out of the water, Jesus saw heaven splitting open and the spirit like a dove coming down on him. And there was a voice from heaven, you're my son whom I dearly love. In you I find happiness. And at once the Spirit forced Jesus out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness for 40 days, tempted by Satan. He was among the wild animals, and the angels took care of him. What's happening here? Have you ever wondered why Jesus gets baptized? I mean, isn't the whole deal that Jesus is perfect and without sin, and isn't baptism for the forgiveness of sins, And so why is Jesus in this water, right? I mean, we're told everybody else is here for the forgiveness of their sins. So why is Jesus out here? And Matthew and Luke's versions of this story makes clear that part of the reason that Jesus is in this water is in obedience to God's plan for his life. But Mark doesn't go into those details. And it feels like he's just got something else going on in this version of the story. A few weeks ago, we launched B Church, and you just saw a video a second ago of that Zoom class, and, and then last week we watched the video of the Carter family. <clears throat> you remember the Carters, their young family, they got two young kids, they got another kid on the way, and because that, that new baby's about to be here, even without a pandemic, it'd be a little while before they were back at church, and so we don't know when they'll be back the next time. And so what they're doing to be church to those around them, to love their neighbors and to love the Highland family is they make cinnamon rolls every weekend and they make a batch for them. They eat on Sunday morning and they make a batch for someone from this church or some neighbor on the street and they take it to them. And uh, then you saw that video about Zoom classes a second ago. And listen, I know Zoom is not, <clears throat> well, it's not like exactly the real thing. <laughs> and, um, you know, Buster made a comment to our staff earlier today that he's been worshiping in pajamas for a while. And, uh, you know, that's kind of how it is with Zoom meetings. You don't even know who's all wearing pants, right? <laughs> What's well, a special thing, there's something about being with those people that you know are for you. And you know they're for you because they're with you. Because they log in. And maybe that's why Jesus is in this water. Maybe that's why he finds himself in the Jordan River surrounded by all these people you know, making his way through and among and between all of these people with their feet and the waters of the Jordan River. The first thing that Jesus does in his ministry is to come and be with, among, between, with the people he's for, the people he's come to save. A few years ago, I get a call. It's the middle of the day on a Thursday. I get a call from a young man from Highland. And I can tell before I even answer the phone, he's been crying. He can hardly get the words out of his mouth, and he's asked me if we can talk. He's in East Memphis at that point, so I leave the church building. I begin to drive towards East Memphis, and I don't know where we're going to meet. And I I say, "Uh, you want to meet at Starbucks? And he's he's blubbering, and there's no way that's going to work. And so I'll never forget this because I called Frank Bowling, our old preaching apprentice, who, who preaches at the Park Avenue Church of Christ. I said, Frank, do you all have a conference room? He said, absolutely. That's what, you mentioned the brotherhood earlier. 
That's what we get for being a part of the Brotherhood. Free conference room, Park Avenue Church of Christ. And so me and that young man, we, we walk into the conference room and he just begins to sob. Tells me this story. Tells me about doing something that he never thought he would ever do. And that he never wants to do again. And I'll never forget, he looks at me and he says, what now? What now? And as I read this story here at the Jordan River, for some reason, I see him among this crowd of people. It's like as I imagine all these faces surrounded, looking on as this man, Jesus, makes his way toward John the Baptist. I can just see his face among that crowd. And I think about how vulnerable he was in that room, how totally dependent and exposed he was in that room, just absolutely vulnerable. And I see him there on the waters of the Jordan River. And uh, we're told here, and I mentioned this a second ago, we're, we're told that everyone is here. This is Mark 1, verse 5. Everyone has come. Everyone. All the people, we read again in verse 5, are there. And Mark makes it clear that all of these people are here out in the wilderness, listening to this preacher dressed in camel's hair and eating locusts, that all of these people have come out here for the baptism this guy is talking about because they want God to forgive their sins. They wanted God to forgive their sins. Earlier it says they want to change their hearts and lives. They've reached that moment where they've got nowhere else to go and they're desperate for a change. I mean, have you ever thought about how vulnerable baptism is? Have you ever thought about that? I mean, I think the re you know, there's, there's basically two words that we use to describe what baptism is, birth and death. The two most vulnerable moments in our human lives. You come into this world totally exposed, totally dependent, totally vulnerable, and that is how you will leave this world. And that's the language that's used to describe baptism. You die to yourself and you are born again. You ever think about how vulnerable that is? And maybe you're thinking to yourself, oh, I don't know, baptism is, you know, it's not that risky, not that vulnerable. You know, I'll go get in that water. If, if God doesn't show up in that water, if nothing happens to me, if nothing about my life changes, it's no big deal. You know, I got a little wet, but that's about it. Well, that is not baptism. You know what baptism is. Baptism is what you do when you don't have anything else you can do. You know, baptism is what you do when you don't have any other choice. Baptism is what you do when you have exhausted all your other options, all your other lifelines, and you finally come to that moment in your life where you realize that me on my own, I am not enough. And no one else around me has the answers I need. No one else can provide me what I need. What my life, what's going on in my life is not working, and I am not enough on my own to fix it. That's what baptism is. And that's a vulnerable space to be. Because if that's where you are, when you come into the waters of baptism and you don't find anybody there, where else do you have to go? You know, what else are you left with? Make no mistake about it, these people at the Jordan River, these are vulnerable people. You know, I see that young man among them there absolutely dependent, absolutely exposed, totally vulnerable, and I see Jesus there.
with him. Of course, you know, as we're reading along here in this passage, you know, we've only gone through eight verses. We haven't met Jesus yet. John the Baptist is out preparing the way for the one who's to come, but he doesn't know who it is. And so here you have this big crowd, everyone, all the people there on the Jordan River watching as this stranger walks up into this water among them. And they don't know who he is from Adam. Think about that. You know, the first thing that Jesus comes to do in his ministry is to be with people, the people that he's for, but the people who don't even know him yet. You know, but the people who just sense that something in their life is not right. Uh, I talk about this occasionally. I'm really fortunate to be part of this prison Bible study at our local prison facility. This is through the Hope Works ministry. And the reason I've been doing that ministry for so long and the reason I I just frankly refuse to give it up is that uh, even though there's plenty of other people that would would take it from me, the reason I, I can't give it up is because the guys in the Hope Works prison program are people who have reached the end of the rope. They're people, think about this, who finally realize that the things they have been doing in their lives that got them to this point, they can't do anymore. And they want to change and they don't know how to do it. And usually it has nothing to do with Jesus. Jesus is not why they sign up for that. But you know why I keep going out there? It's not because I get to bring Jesus out to the prison. It's because every time I go out there, he beats me there. Because who's the people that Jesus is with? He's with the people who know they need him. (laughs) You know, the people who know that what they've been doing isn't working. If you want to find Jesus, go find those people. Because that's who he's with. The first thing Jesus does in his ministry is to come to be with, fully with, the people he is most for at their most vulnerable moment. But let's keep reading. Let's go back to verse 10. Because the story doesn't start, stop there. It actually takes it a step further. We see first that Jesus is fully with the people that he's for. But then immediately we see that God is fully for and with Jesus. So this is what we read in verse 10. While he was coming up out of the water, <clears throat> Jesus saw heaven splitting open, literally tearing open. And the spirit like a dove coming down on him. And there was a voice from heaven, you're my son whom I dearly love, in you I find happiness. Can you picture that? I wish you would for just a second. Uh, In Matthew and Luke's versions of this story, it just says that heaven opened. It's a really passive word. And in Mark's version, heaven is torn open. And he's got this visual of God's fingers. So desperately does God desire to get to his son that God is pulling back the clouds, tearing apart the sky so that he can reach down and be with his son whom he's for. And the first thing that God says in the gospel of Mark, in the good news according to Mark, he says to Jesus, and he says, you're my son, I love you, and you I'm well pleased. He says, I'm for you. And you know what that reminds me of? That reminds me of a birth. Tearing open heaven to be with this son and holding up, oh, I love you. You bring me so much joy. Lindsay's been watching this cheesy romantic miniseries at night after we put the boys down. And um, like I may have watched it a little bit with her. (laughs) 
There's this scene where this teenage son, he's, he's got parents, his parents are split up, mom and dad. And dad has been a, just a total disappointment in his life. He's been totally disengaged, you know, not present, hardly at all. And the teenage son decides to run away. He's scared of confronting something at school that day, so he runs away, and mom and dad both spend all day looking for him. And mom finds the son first, and she puts her arms around him when she finds him. And she says, we have been worried sick about you. Dad is out right now looking for you. And he says, Dad, why would he be looking for me? He says. And I keep thinking about that scene, as cheesy as this series is. And I keep thinking, what would it, what would it be like to have a dad who never told you, I love you, I'm pleased with you, you make me so happy. I mean, what if you didn't hear that from the beginning of your life, from your birth? And that makes me think, maybe this moment for Jesus in these waters of baptism is not just vulnerable for all these people there who want to change their lives and don't know where else to go. Maybe this is a vulnerable moment for Jesus. Because as Jesus enters this water, if he does not hear from God his Father, I love you, I'm with you, I'm for you. How is he going to face what comes next? You know, the very next verses, he is sent into the wilderness to fight with Satan. And sometimes I tell people who are getting baptized, don't think this means life is going to get easy for you. If so, be reminded of what happened to Jesus after he was baptized. You know, straight into the wilderness to be confronted by Satan. Can you imagine facing that without knowing that there was a father who was with you and for you? I mean, then he enters into his public ministry, which is three grueling years ends with his death. Can you imagine facing that without a father who had told him, you're mine. You're mine, Jesus. I love you. I'm for you. And I'm with you, even now. In some ways, the scene that Jesus experiences here as heaven is torn open, it's what we all wish for for ourselves. In fact, it's what God's people have always wished for for themselves. We read this in Isaiah 64. This is what God's people have always wanted. If only you, God, would tear open the heavens and come down. And then at Jesus' baptism, God does for Jesus what we all always have wanted him to do for us. He tears open heaven and comes down. You know the only other place we have that same word, tear, or split apart in the Gospel of Mark? Do you know where it is? It's at the very end. It's when Jesus is hanging from the cross, breathing his last breath, and we read this, Mark 15, 38, the curtain of the sanctuary was torn in two from top to bottom. I won't go into all the details of this. I've preached about it recently, but this this curtain that hung in the temple was designed to separate God from the people of God. And what we see here, okay, this is what's so awesome, is that what God does for Jesus at his baptism, tearing open heaven to be with him, God does through Jesus for you and me at the cross, tearing apart what separates us so God can be with us and for us. Okay, so this is, this is what's happening here. What God tells Jesus at his baptism is that I'm with you and I'm for you. 
And what God tells us when that curtain tears in two and Jesus' son hangs on the cross is that if he's with you guys, well, I'm with you guys too. If Jesus is for y'all, all right, I'm for y'all too. I'm with you. <clears throat> you know what Scripture calls that moment when God moves towards us in that way? Scripture calls it adoption. So some of the language that Scripture uses is birth, born again. The other language that Scripture uses is adoption. This is what Paul says in Ephesians 1, 5, and 6. He says, God destined us to be his adopted children. How? Through Jesus Christ because of his love. This was according to his goodwill and plan and to honor his glorious grace that he has given us freely through the son he loves. Uh, there's a family here at Highland. They've got four kids. And... Um, they were pretty content with having four kids. You know, when you start having three and four kids, people stop congratulating you and they start saying things like, I'll pray for you. <laughs> uh, their fourth child is adopted. And <clears throat> not long ago, they learned that that little boy had a sister, a newborn sister who had been born. And, uh, of course, you know, they had not planned on that. Their, their family was pretty full at four. And so they went to their kids and they said, you know, what do, what do y'all think? Uh, should we bring her to be part of our family? And you know that all four of those kids didn't hesitate for a second. Okay. She was already part of their family. She was his sister. Okay, that's what Paul means when he says we are adopted through Jesus Christ. It's because Jesus is God's son first, and Jesus is with us, that God says, oh, you? Oh, yeah, you already belong to me. This is, this is your family right here. You, I love you. I'm pleased with you. I got a call from a young man at Highland a few weeks ago. He's a college student, and it was a Thursday. He was in between classes, and um, uh, instead of studying for class, he was digging into the Word of God, which I'm not going to fault him for that. And he calls me up, and he said, Eric, what happened when I got baptized? And uh, I said, well, a lot of things happened when you got baptized. Okay. But what we would say is that, first of all, when you got baptized, you met Jesus in that water. What we believe is that because Jesus was baptized, it changes forever baptism. It even changes it from what John is doing beforehand, and we know this later because we're told that you some receive the baptism of John and not the baptism of Jesus. There's something about Jesus entering this water that the St. Gregory said he hollowed water. <laughs> he didn't go into the water because he needed it. He did it because we needed it. What Paul says twice is that when you are baptized, you are baptized into Christ. So what Christians believe is not just that Jesus is in this water at the very beginning of his ministry, but that Jesus is still in that water. And when you enter that water, you are going to find him there. But secondly, I told him, and this is even better, I said, the reason that we go into the water is because it's when we are in that water that God looks down on us and he sees us as his children. 
our, our old preaching apprentice, Michael Van Heis, baptized a young man recently. Uh, a few of us were here to watch it, socially distanced, wearing masks. He'd been discipling this young man. He's young, 20-something. And um, if you heard his story, you would hear it described as somebody who, who finally realized there was nowhere else to go. And Michael was there to talk with him about the good news of Jesus. And um, the three of us were talking beforehand back behind the baptistry. He was a bundle of nerves. His parents were there. Some friends were there. He was just kind of a bundle of nerves about this decision that he was making. And I'll never forget, Michael looked at him. He was so calm. I was so proud of him. Michael looked at him. He said, he said you know, this is the moment. He said, what do, you, what do you mean? He said, this is the moment we are all waiting our whole lives for. He said, when you go down in that water and you come up, God is going to look at you and he's going to say, this is my son. I love him. I'm so pleased with him. And they walked down in that water, and Michael lowered him down into the water, vulnerable, even in the act of baptism, lowered down. And he brought him back up, and that young man was smiling. And I saw his face, and I thought, that's what the face of God looks like right now. This is his child. We are all his children. And in us, God is well pleased 